Hi, this is uh, Ross Payton here with Role Playing Public Radio, and this is episode 22, Get Your Fear On, a uh, look at how to run scary games in role RPGs. So. And I, man, this is something I'm sure you're going to be all over, Ross. Yeah, no, what do you, I don't know what you're talking about, Tom. I just, oh, uh, I'm, yeah, you it's don't, topical, you it's don't October. Like, yeah, you, you don't like fear, and it's not Halloween. Uh, well, it's not Halloween, Tom. Yet. Yet. Yeah, so think about the, that. We, the shops are open, and... Yeah, it's October, so I mean, you know, I'm yeah, whatever. I'm going to see a Dracula stage production of the. That oh yeah, I've seen week. I've seen posters for that all downtown. Yeah, if you're in Springfield, Missouri, you should go check it out. There's blood and partial nudity. Oh, <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, so uh, you know, it's been a while since we had an episode. We've been doing a lot of other stuff, but this is October scary month. We got a couple of uh, actual plays of horror games that we ran uh, that I ran earlier. Yeah. Yeah, some and, other horror uh, games interview up. with Ben Baugh, the uh, creator of Monsters and Other Childish Things, a writer for Vampire, the Requiem, and a bunch of other freaky stuff. So uh, you can keep an eye out for that stuff. We, uh, of course, will have another episode this month, uh, a couple weeks. Yeah, I got a horror game coming up for my very squeamish group. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, uh, why don't we get into the topic now? Basically, you know, since it is that time of year that uh, a lot of you are going to be wanting to run horror games, either one shots or campaigns or what have you. So uh, we're just going to go over some of the basic advice, some a couple of advanced tips on how to run a scary game, uh, how to play in a scary game, and how to have a really good time, you know, getting freaked out at the game table. So uh, the main thing is that it's a little harder than running a casual game. In fact, it can be a lot harder than running a beer and pretzel game. Where everybody sort of met well, beer, the beer and pretzels game kind of just comes naturally, right? I mean, that's everyone's yeah, breaking the fourth walls. Everybody's making jokes. Uh, nobody's taking it too seriously. And quoting Monty Python. Yeah, well, you know, they always do that. Yeah, or Portal song or something like that. Oh so, man, yeah, good song though. Yeah, that's kind of you know run, been run into the ground. Nerds run everything into the nerds, ground. Nerds, nerds. Anyway, see, this is the kind of shit we're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Um, or you know, over nine thousand. So, oh shit. How do you run a scary game? How do you get people actually freaked out in a game? And it's harder to do, but it can be done. So, uh, well, first, I would say probably want to know what kind of horror you're going to run first. Right. There's two basic kinds. I, you know, basically. Uh, there is yeah. The, there, there's investigative yeah, horror, yeah, investigation and, and survival. survival. Now, obviously, Call of Cthulhu. Most horror games, when you think of horror games, you think of Call of Cthulhu, and it's that's kind of, it's kind of the quintessential horror yeah. game there. And the basic structure of that is that the players are presented with a mystery that they must solve, and the horror comes through the gradual revelation of whatever the secret is, whatever the mystery is, you know, like peeling an onion with many different layers. And each it, layer is more horrific than the yeah, next. Yeah, like one layer is a zombie, then the second layer is a ghoul, and then the third layer is... A Shoggoth. Uh, or yeah, something. Shoggoth, and then, you know, at the core is the nuclear, you know, Damon Sultan Azathoth, the blind idiot god who controls the universe and you, you, yeah. you get the idea so you generally are mad or mad or dead by then well not necessarily but you know that's what games, that's are you, the what games have you been running ross that's always the way they go well anyways and then there's survival horror which is of course it's like, it's like boom you're in it now live right it's more uh action oriented oriented uh, all flesh the mystery mu- all flesh must be eaten it's kind of like right it's zombie like games uh, there's a lot of World of Darkness games, things like that. World of Darkness games can be either survival or 
investigation. investigation. Mm-hmm. So in general, if there's a mystery to solve, it's investigation. Otherwise, it's survival. So, but also generally, and the players are not as powerful in horror games. Well, as other games I've right. discovered. So that's one of the main things. So what we've come up with is this little list of the main trait. If you want to run a horror game, here's a couple of things you want to keep in mind. I think the first thing you want to do is sort of set the social contract uh, for horror. Now, of social contract, what the hell is that? Whoa, Ross is using a weird edu- educational term here. Well, it's you know an indie RPG design theory and things like that like that social the social contract is basically what everyone agrees to at the table you know in order basically you know that you're going to be a polite human being that you're not going to uh, creep out other players things like that now what you want to do is sort of basically ahead of time talk to the players and tell them i want to run a scary game so to that end i would appreciate it if everyone took it a little more seriously tried to keep the off jokes well, to a minimum mention what we're going to do and then list give the list of demands yeah well, not demands, just like, don't come here and be a jackass like you normally are. This is a different type of game. I'm trying to do something a little freakier. Well, you know, let's, let's, keep the ta- let's keep the table banter to a minimum. Right, unless it's relating to the game. I mean, just the jokes and things like that. So um, that's the first thing to do. So everybody's on the same page. So that, that would be the first thing to do. I think the second thing, though, is to get the mood right. And the mood is obviously uh, the external atmosphere, the actual... Uh, how the the mood is at the place where you're running the game. Lighting, music, right. that kind of. Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of hard to be scary when you're playing, you know, Barbie Girl or something on the radio. Right, or you have which well, true story by the way. Really? But, oh yeah. Wow. I someone was someone was running a horror game with us. I believe I believe it was uh, World of Darkness. We were playing uh, Mortals. Yeah. And the music he was playing was was pretty much like almost a J-pop group. Yeah. But you know, it was a mixed CD, so also Barbie Girl, like Barbie Girl, came on right as the one of the horrible monsters coming out of the sewer. You can imagine by that point, after steady diet of J-pop, no one was really in a freaky mood. Right? Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that that would really kill the mood. Who was running that? Uh, this was my long, long ago, not now friend Dan. I see. <laughs> you you know who he was? Yeah, you remember? Um, yeah, you don't want to do that. So. Basically, or it's not even necessarily something as obvious as that, just having the lights on, all the lights on, having the TV on in the background, having someone playing Xbox in the next room or something Porn like that. Porn everywhere. Well, that's <laughs> a pretty extreme example. So you want to turn off a couple of the lights. Um, yeah. Get rid of external distractions. Yeah, external distractions so they focus on the game. Make sure yeah. players aren't, you know, no one brings their cell phone or plays Nintendo DS or makes characters for other games at the table or try and keep that to a minimum. And, uh, you know, just ask everyone tries to focus on the game. Uh, you can also, and then obviously the next thing is mood light, or uh, music, sorry, aside mm-hmm. from lighting. Obviously, and a big one you use is the Silent Hill sound- soundtracks. Right. Uh, now we don't usually have music in the games that we pl- record because obviously that's it. Yeah, Bug- buggers up the recording. Yeah, and copyright reasons too, probably. So what we do, you know, so either have silence or try to have appropriate. The main thing is not to have music with lyrics in it. So just like low key ambient kind of scary music. If you can get a uh, one thing, if you're really ambitious, we'll talk this a little about later. You might get a laptop or a device and cue it up with the various sound effects to be played at specific times. 
Oh, but when you do that, actually, be ready to do it. Yeah. I've been in games where people have, they've been like, oh, it's like, all right, and he comes up, wait, uh, let, me, let me find the song here, yeah. and then spends 30 seconds trying to find the song. And right. by then, my like gamer minds are left to wander. Yeah. So again, that's the thing you want to avoid. And we'll get in more, that, that's more of an advanced technique. So don't, so either have it on so you can focus on the game and totally ignore the music, or just, um, don't do it, you know. Or good, actually, a good silence can be really good. Yeah, good silence is very appropriate uh, for a horror. So that's the main thing. So set the mood, and then obviously set the. Then the next thing is in the game. Set the in-game tone of it, and this is sort of setting the atmosphere, the mood, uh, through how you run the game. And there's a lot of different tricks you can do to do this. Way, uh, way more than we really have time to mention here. Right. Well, but we'll go. But I think some of them obviously are yeah. pretty obvious. Descriptions. Give everything. Describe things. A little. Everything has a little well, sinister. Don't, edge. Yeah, don't just say there's a dead body there. Yeah. Say there's a dead body that's been, you know, been savaged by what looks like yeah. an animal attack. You can and, see bones exposed. You know the the sticking out from the uh, torn meat, blood spattered everywhere. The the fetid stench of his uh, of the corpse. Uh, you know, uh, assaults your yeah. senses. But don't don't get so much description that it starts sounding like purple prose. Well, I mean a little yeah a little a couple of key phrases, couple of. You know, like the 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 lips have been torn off, giving it the appearance of a savage, you know, grin, you know, mm-hmm. or something like that. Something really, a few freaky details enough to unsettle someone, you know, or the death rattle of a corpse. So that's so mm-hmm. you know, just keep to, and even normal things. Describe pedestrians having a mean look in their eye, or you know, callously ignoring you, or the or the guy behind there. the hotel. You know, actually, no, you think you see gills on the side of his head. Uh, yeah, and just for a moment, you yeah. know, and then you know he disappears in the crowd or something mm-hmm. like that. So, you know, think of look at horror movies and how they set the mood. Yeah. You know? I remember a game Sean once did. Yeah, it was a old it was old World of Darkness, and we were playing FBI agents. We, I, of course, our car broke down. Well, actually, well, we blew a tire out. We later found out that it was wrapped up in bar- we had barbed wire that had been placed across the road. Another good thing, you know, disable the car at an inopportune time. <laughs> yeah, but, isolate I mean, the players. But Sean did a great thing. He actually beforehand closed all the blinds. This was in David's old house. Right. And we were describing you're we walking along a gravel road, and just and he made it really quiet. There was he had no music playing, and then he said, like, you stop. You still hear gravel footsteps behind you. That alone, you know, just just the you know how quietly he did it. Yeah, yeah, that really a, worked really well. That's the thing. I mean, you know, it's telling. It's sort of like telling a ghost story, telling mm-hmm. the scary story around a campfire. So a lot of the same cheap theatrics and things like that will work the same way. I don't know about the whole flashlight under the face thing. Uh, actually, yeah, that's more of an advanced thing. But mm-hmm. the theatrics are very important in a horror like, game. Like you know. Doing like doing like you know doing voices can yeah. help too. So, uh, you know, like, you know, like, yeah, there were yeah. That's I, I remember like one thing I remember from you, you're good at is doing freaky kids. <laughs> I, you, you're pretty good at that. Okay. Because I, I think a kid saying freaky things is actually scarier than an adult. Oh saying. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no joke, no joke. I mean, the only thing worse is a scary clown. So. Oh god, fuck. Or any type of clown. Yeah, clowns. Just yeah, clowns. Yeah, fuck those guys. So, but yeah, you said you're talking a lot of voice acting sort of thing, voices yeah. that you do for your horror game. It, it has to be a group I'm kind of comfortable with, because otherwise, I admit, I'm a little tight in the asshole. Right. So, now, but if it's with a group I really know, I can cut loose. And I've, I, last year, they requested a horror game of me. Yeah. 
And I, I told them, I think I've mentioned this before, like, all right, I'm going to do a horror game, though. First of all, they weren't powerful. That threw them for a loop. But the number of the NPCs I did weren't really that, you know, they weren't meant, they weren't scary, they weren't part of the evil plot, but the voice I used for them freaked the players the fuck out. Okay. I don't even think I could do the voices now. What type of voice was it? It was a like kind of a high pitched, high pitched, squeaky voice. Oh yeah. Um, you know, but you know. Hi there. Yeah, kind of. You know, cackle. He cackled a lot. I'm gonna rip your soul out. Except, except it was it was just a guy yeah. directing them around town. Okay. And also, oh, that's true. That's all he was—just a guy that directed people around the city. Yeah, that's town. the thing. Red herrings have freaky mm-hmm. people that the players think is, oh god, he must be de- demon possessed. But no, he's just there for for color. Mm-hmm. You know, basically. There's another so. guy. Another guy. Just you know, he he laughed a, a very you know, you know, almost inaudible laugh, but done right. in such a way that. Right. Every, right. every time they, I, I can still do it to Aaron, by the way, and yeah. still freak him out. <laughs> He's a featherweight, though. Oh yeah, so. yeah, he is. Um, so voices, descriptions, um, locales, where you set, choose, you know, yeah. just little bits, just give everything sort of an off kilter, yeah. unnatural feel. Yeah, it's, like you know, make a make a make a familiar safe place freaky and freaky right. and dark well yeah the, no, see the, this is getting into what is scary so mm. what how do you what are the things that will actually freak a player out and that's one of the big ones you know the corruption the subversion of the familiar yeah. turning a suburb, the safe a, a suburban the a suburban house into a right or even better a hospital right silent hill is basically the perfect thing to look at because mm-hmm. you go from a normal town to the fog filled town to the you know evil demon possessed town it's yeah. the same place but the it all changes um of course though the biggest single thing though i mean that's pretty big but the biggest single thing that will freak players out or that is the biggest theme in horror is fear of the unknown oh yeah that's- i mean that's the lovecraft stuff you know is the unknowableness of the mythos and how we'll just go crazy trying to figure it out and that sort of thing but one of the best times I, I was running a years ago I was running this riffs game and uh, Tom was one of the players Josh was another and they're you know both riffs characters pretty powerful but I had them explore this uh, abandoned military base that they had found and you know it was de- it was underground it was decrepit post apocalyptic blah 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 and they got down into it and then I just had said the light you know they, there were still some flickering lights and then I just said the lights go out and you hear movement something's in there with you and both of you and uh the other players josh mm-hmm. just freak the fuck out like oh fuck we need to get the fuck out of here there's something in here with us oh god oh god oh god oh god and both the mm-hmm. play both of you just tore ass out of there and you never went back you just didn't want to find out what that thing was yeah so i mean and it was just simple and i loved how just ah it wasn't you know a major thing just i was just throwing you a little curveball and you just totally went for it and that that, that was just great so fear of the unknown um the players aren't going to have the full picture and try and obscure the picture of the scenario so they don't know what's going on so they don't know that it's this type of monster it's just a thing and the mm. thing is trying to get them i, I know like, not just you but everyone i played to call cthulhu with never just flat out says what what the thing is even if the even if the players are utterly familiar with the call of cthulhu yeah you know Actually, one person who was not a very good GM actually said, "All right," and then a Shoggoth appears. Like, that's stupid. Yeah, 
But you're saying, you know, if you just just describe it as the, you know, the a protean mass of flesh undulating and uh, wriggling tentacles, it, the amorphous blob, you know, of a uh, uh, translucent gel-like material with eyes and mouths coming at you, a thousand voices screaming out of it. You know, that's a little bit. Yeah, or the game we did in uh, at Gen Con. Yeah. When uh, you know, it was ta- I was taken to the side because I actually rolled a crit on my notice check. To, yeah. And he's yeah he said you know. You can see the the your British officer's shadow is has like there's a tail and looks serpentine like I knew it was a serpent man right and I knew that the gun I had could probably take him out in one or two hits right but I was like but he never he never said what it was right and that that worked a lot better so I I got into it yeah exactly so uh, or in you know the other one from last year the uh, the star vampire you know mm-hmm. we I knew what it was but it was still just a thing to me so and you fell off the zeppelin yeah that was great. This, yeah that was fun um, so then so the so the first you know things of what is scary you know the fear of the unknown the subversion the corruption of the familiar the safe uh, then of course there is uh, making the characters not powerful now and- there's a very fine balance between you know too weak to do anything and too powerful to be scared by yeah. anything. My example, I ran that game, my, my the horror game with last Halloween and Mutants and Masterminds. Yeah. My groups played that. They're familiar with it. But they're used to playing the power level 10 characters or above. Right. I made them power level 3. Wow. And it was it was weird to see them actually conservatively going like going into battle or not. Like thinking, "Oh god, can we take this thing?" Like and I, I made that also nothing. I made them keep track of the amount of ammo they had. <laughs> nice, nice. I mean, they never normally. It's just you know we keep shooting until it's dead, and then for then for effect we drop the clip out of the gun and right. ram another one in. Right, different genre. Yeah, that's not horror. No, that no, it's not. And I mean, that's again sort of the re- one of the tricks Resident Evil does to make the game effective is that you have to count each bullet and everything that you find in the game to you know there's. God knows how many zombies, but you're you're only going to find so many green herbs and bullets to uh, take them down. Yeah, and you know the same the same thing. Uh, I had some things come at them that were scary, but not particularly powerful. Right. They didn't want to fight them because they you know, like because yeah. they, they like they thought they never had a chance. Right. See, they didn't know what mm-hmm. was strong and what was weak. It was all like ah, get the get us the hell out yeah. of here. So though, of course, they're you know they were also paranoid because they're all playing members of a mob crew. Yeah, and. One of the players, I, I, they're all pre-gen that I made. Right. And one of them was an undercover FBI agent. Ah. Uh, and, good. of course, Aaron wanted to be that one. Yeah. Because he can't play evil. <laughs> I think, and this, I knew, but it, he's not a good, he's not very good at lying. No. So when uh, he was, I actually had a sheet, you're, you need to check in at 7 o'clock. They're waiting for your call. So I said, I, I went to, he's, Actually, in game he said, uh, like, "Hey, what time is it around?" It's like it was about six fifty. He says, "Guys, I need to step outside for a moment. Don't follow me." <laughs> wow, that's uh, uh, not a very and, good. Uh, but a good, yeah, a common thing in horror. They uh, kept using him as a shield. Yeah. Like you go, it's like you first. Like, no, you go first. <laughs> Pointing the guns at him. Wow. Um, it, yeah, he did. It was. It was. It was really interesting to see groups used to playing powerful characters. Right. So again, you can't, you know, the everyman is inherently more scary than the superhero badass. Uh, so the main thing, though, is obviously you don't want to make them too weak that victory is impossible. You want to give them a chance, uh, you know, stack the odds against them, but victory has to be possible. Otherwise, players will just give up. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, you, yeah, it still needs to be, you know, the you know, the fight or flight reflex needs to be flight more than not. Right. 
But yeah, if yeah, if you just make it, they can't do shit. Yeah, and then it, they're not. I don't care what the mood is; they're not going to like it. Right. Exactly. So you know, there's this fine balance between that two. Uh, or it doesn't even have to be full victory, but give them some small victories. Right. Yeah, they don't have to save the world, but in, you know, in Call of Cthulhu, it's not stopping the mythos because that's impossible. It's, it's delaying it. Delaying it. I mean, that's its whole mantra of Delta Green is sacrificing everything in order to delay the end times for a cu- you know who knows how much longer. So yeah, uh, and, uh, yeah, but, you know, let them they, they you know let them rescue the person the cult's going to sacrifice or right. Or, you know, maybe they trap the monster for a while or banish seal it temporarily. It or seal it into a house. Right, exactly. Which then they then have to, you know, take turns guarding. But on the other hand, don't be afraid to make them fail. I mean, because yeah. that can be just as, you know, it just depends on how it goes. Let the players determine how they go. I mean, I've done haunted house scenarios where the players have won. And I've done haunted house scenarios where the players, you know, fucked up and the house won, mm. basically. And there's so. been some other games where we just all turned on each other. Yeah, no, there have been there's been that as well, so... Uh, yeah, make sure in horror it's very important that the players feel like they have some control over it, some power over their own fate. Mm. Because if they don't have any power over their own fate, they won't buy yeah, into and it. Actually, that's a fun fact. My my group said that's the main reason they don't want to play Call of Cthulhu because they say there's you know they say because there's no chance of us ever stopping it. Well, they they, should, they don't want that. You should try Fear itself. You know the game. That oh yeah, I, no, yeah. I know that, but that's one thing. That's one of their complaints of horror is that. So it's like, well, it's like, well, we're never going to actually win, you know, in the long run. Like, we're never going to be stand victorious over Cthulhu. Like, no, you're not. That's yeah, you're missing the point. I mean, uh, it's the ride as well. So, and of course, the the single thing, the basic, the single most important thing about running a horror game, though, I think, is, and this is the really key to it, is the timing, the pacing of it. Now, don't 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 throw your big scare right at first. Well, no, you can't. No, the thing is variation. Um, Now, if you look at really great horror movies, horror novels, they will. There's this there's this structure, this pattern to it, this rhythm almost. It's very musical in a way. You know, first you have the the smash the kill the kill scene. You know, the monster Mm -hmm. attacks, kill somebody, and then it sort of. Calms down afterwards. The play, and then the the to other char- to lull you to the next right. one. The character, you know, it's not a. It's still tense right after the kill, but you know, the other characters find the body. They try and figure out what to do. They start, you know, they start you ramping up mm. the tension, the suspense. Uh, remember, suspense is you know uncertainty about what's going to happen next. Yeah, I remember that. You know, when we were watching Severance. Yeah. They did. They did that. Yeah. So you don't know what's going to happen next, and then bam, another one. So it's you know like Beethoven. You know, first he'll have uh, you know nice lull, and then he'll just slam you with a, a powerful piece or any you know piece mm-hmm. of music really. So that's the key in horror. So you can start out with a really heavy scare right at the beginning. You know, uh, right off the bat, if you really wanted to be a bastard about it, one of the NPCs kills gets right off the bat. But then give the just back off, let the players react to it, let them figure out what they're going to do next, and then have the monster start, you know, closing in on them again. So, so again, the um, the key is this timing. You have to learn when players are ripe to be scared and when they need some time to recover. Because the the danger is if you hit them with horror nonstop, just you know, slam, 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 slam. They will get numb to it and they will give up. Or the, or they'll get so uncomfortable they don't want to play anymore. Or they'll just make a joke out of it. Mm. In other words, in other words, you'll fail. In any case, you'll the mood fail. will be broken. Yeah. So it's a and it's lighter than you think. I mean, 
tr- be a little conservative and and see. It really depends on how well you can judge your players' reactions to it and how much they're getting into it. So if they're really getting into it, you know they'll really dig it. And um, but you know just you can always add more horror later on, but it's harder to take it out. Yeah. So you know just bump it up incrementally. So. Which means, like, you know, if you present a, what you think is going to be a badass scare, you know, monster jumps out of the closet, and they're like, uh, okay, fuck, well, we'll shotgun it and run away. Just be like, all right, well, okay, that monster gets killed, whatever. And then you realize there's actually two of them, or, you know, one of them grabs you, your foot or from, like, uh, or, a, or that one was, that one was actually the infant monster. Yeah. Or that one was already dead, or that was actually happened to be the corpse of, Someone made up to look like a monster, you know, a victim of the monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was transforming into a monster. Yeah. Um, or any number of things. Uh, the main thing is try and hit them with angles that aren't they don't expect. And of course, the main thing, of course, the, the danger is also you can't just go all Deus Ex Machina and just like, all right, fuck you, I'm I am going to scare you no matter what. If you can't scare them after what you think is a big scare and you you try and twist it around a little bit and it doesn't work. Just back off. Be like, all right, fine. We'll we'll try again. Don't just keep hitting them and hitting them until you think you get them. You know, just be aware that you're not always going to scare them. So be be ready to concede because again, it's a very fine line. There's a very sort of rhythm you have to build, uh, develop. So yeah. Um, and again, so each player, each playing group is different. So what works on one group won't work on another. So. Yeah. Know the know your group. Yeah, actually, that's just that's that's good for any game. Know your <laughs> that's group. true. That's one of our mantras. I think is know your group, know what they want, and give it to them, and make sure you have fun doing it too. Yeah, and as a player, now of course, all this applies to you as a player as well. And the main thing as a player is buy into it. Um, yeah, you have to make the effort to buy into it. Yeah, and don't meta game and. Be ready to give up power. Don't be like, I have to be a powerful badass. Be ready. You know, you can have fun by letting go and being a weaker person than you normally are. Or that, you know, that you're used a normal character that you're not used to, you know. It's uh, about that variation. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Um, so, those are the basic techniques. The basic, you know, what we think. The one, 101 shit. Yeah. So now there, no, we've already mentioned a little bit about you know this advanced stuff. The and this is where it starts to get theatrical, and this is where it starts to get difficult. So let's start talking about some of the advanced stuff. So advanced gaming. Now this is where you start getting into the theatrics and the theatrical stuff. I mean, this is where you get really advanced, really elaborate stuff and stuff you have to prepare ahead of time. Oh yeah, well oh. yeah, a lot ahead of time and. Uh, where it almost becomes like a staged production, you know, and well, I've I've seen a guar, I've seen guar stage shows, man. Yeah, that's theatrical. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now you don't need buckets of fake blood or whatever. Or semen in that case. Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, that's not really horror. That's something else altogether, Tom. But um, uh, go to the show, you'll know. Yeah. What you do need, though, is the fact is these can really, really pay off. They can make your game a memorable, legendary game. But the problem is it's very hard to pull off. If you don't have the basics down, you're not going to be able to do these advanced techniques, these advanced yeah. things. Um, now, one of the first things you meant, you already mentioned was the laptop. Now, having the, mu- the sort of, I guess, a lower-level advanced technique would be having a laptop or a device ready to play queued-up sound effects. Mm-hmm. And that just means you have to be on top of your game and know exactly when to do it and have it ready to go. Like you said, Tom, you can't just have the guy waiting around 30 seconds yeah, to find it, the right it's hap- like my friend Andy he runs a great game but 
and he has like music set up for different scenes, but the thing is they're not queued up, so he has to go searching for them. Yeah. So there's like 10 to fi- actually 10 to 30 seconds of him looking for music and gamers minds yeah wander. They yeah, they leave the mind of their character and pff, that's that. So the moment that happens, it actually it takes a long time to get back in. Right. Now let me just describe one uh, advanced game that I've heard about on the internet that was right. RPG.net. Basically, it was a Call of Cthulhu one-shot set in a submarine. I think it was a World War One U-boat. Or, uh, or, <laughs> yeah, pretty freaky. Yeah. So what they did was the GM ran it at his house and had the lights. He switched out the only. He only had a couple lights on, and they were all switched out with red light bulbs. So emergency submarine emergency lighting. Right. And uh, then maybe some can, and then flashlights. That was it. You know, electric torches, as they Mm -hmm. were called back then. And then whenever a player went to a different section of the submarine that the rest of the players were at, he had to leave the room and the GM would tell him what was going to happen. And then the player would have to stay there and communicate with a walkie-talkie to the other players. Nice. So players were really physically isolated in a dark house with a walkie-talkie and a flashlight as they know the creepy shit was going on. And obviously he probably had some music and some sound effects, you know, the creaking of the sub as it's in the depths. and uh, things like sonar ping or something. Yeah, but you can just imagine, you know, that may sound kind of simple to run, but you have to know... That's, That's a lot of planning ahead of time. The main thing, the scenario, you have to understand perfectly inside and out so that in a moment you know how you know players action is going to change it how you know it's going to affect this timeline everything else the, the you need to know the submarines in in and out and things like that so you just have to be on top of your game yeah the gen con games are like that yeah yeah i remember i think we commented before after that what the game the year before last i knew more about zeppelins than i ever did. right now imagine if he'd actually you know had us in different rooms you know to represent the zeppelin zeppelin sound effects you know lowered lights things like that we'd be that much more immersed um so that's one thing. So the yeah. main thing is like, you know, it's making uh the the playing area more of a theater, of I, a stage. Yeah. I heard I heard of another one on the internet's too. Okay. It was a, a guy was doing a uh, detective like police-based horror game. Yeah. And had spent like actually most of the week before the game just clipping out newspaper articles. Yeah. Like I think about he said he had over 200 of them. Yeah. And then just taped them or thumbtacked them to the wall. Yeah. And, and uh, these weren't even, you know, scary. There was like, you know, football games and shit. But when you have like two hundred newspaper clippings strewn out all over one wall, right? It doesn't matter what they say. It just it looks like it looks like some it looks like some psychopaths, you know, shrine to whatever. Right. Exactly. So again, think of uh, the place you play your the games as a theater as a stage. And, you know, build it appropriately. Now, of course, the other thing is, you know, the other theatrical thing is props. Think of gimmicky props, more advanced props. Now, um, you know, we've been thinking about, like, really detailed handouts, like bloodstained uh, parchments. Or, uh, I think you mentioned autopsy photos or crime scene photos. Yeah. You know, stuff that takes a little work to, to find, to get dig up, the things that would be appropriate. Um, or just go to Rotten.com and then Photoshop some, you know... Right, if your players can handle that kind of thing, that kind yeah. of level of gore. Um, another thing, you know, one of the things we're working on at RPPR is the uh, sort of a audio handout that we, we're not going to spoil yet, but it, it's going to be sort of yeah. like a little radio yeah. show. A couple of them. Actually. Yeah, yeah. At and, least. Um, you can play those during the game. So we actually used one in... Oh, one, yeah, the number station. Yeah. 
Now, that's the music we're using for this episode. And what a number station is, is a creepy shortwave radio station that mysteriously broadcasts numbers at random times. And people uh, believe they're used by intelligence agencies to send messages to agents, you know, that they're encrypted messages. Uh, but when you listen to them, it, it's some pretty silent tale shit. I mean, it's oh, yeah. some pretty freaky shit. And I used recordings of them in a game that we have recorded, so you'll be able to hear it too. Uh, we'll post it in a couple days. And that really, Cody, I know, was really freaked out by that. Yeah. What was your reaction? Tell I was like, like, I'm actually like, dude, I'm loving this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, It is so simple, but so effective. Yeah, just playing the right sound effect at the right time, the right hand out. Yeah, if, if you just had some guy just reading numbers, that's not scary, but just... Right. Just make it. Good. It was a little girl's voice. It had the creepy static and had a little music to it. I mean, yeah, it was really. It was. It was good. Yeah. So, um, and you can download these number stations for free off the internet. So use them for your own games. Think of your own way to use them. And uh, yeah, yeah. Think oh, yeah. about that. So the main thing. So again, when you want to get advanced, when you get, want to run a really memorable game, think theater. Think, you know. Uh, one thing we haven't mentioned so far: costumes. Costume might try that. Uh, I, I, I mean, obviously that's probably gimmicky, but you know, maybe you have an assistant, an actor who's waiting in the 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 you know closet nearby, ready to jump out. I mean, again, that gets really gimmicky. Yeah. And so, so again, the problem is if you go too far with this gimmicky theatrical stuff, that your players would be like, "All right, this is stupid. This is gay. This is dumb." Um, so you, you, there's this fine line to balance, in other words. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you'll be, you'll hit it right out of the park. Sometimes you won't. So sometimes you strike out. It yeah. happens. So if you have any ideas on other theatrical things to run, of other types of really advanced things you'd run, we'd love to hear them. Post them on the thread, on the comments for this uh, side. Post them on the forums. Email us. We'll post it in the next episode, which we'll have before the end of uh, October. October. So, um, any other uh, comments on uh, running a scary game to get your fear on? Um, I would have, I would have to say uh, want to be scared. I think is yeah. Again, is, you have to buy into it. You have to want. That, to be. But to me, that's the most important thing I can think of. Really, yeah. is if you have people that just don't want to be scared. Yeah. Either because. Uh, come on, like, like I don't get scared, or I scare really easy, yeah. so I don't want to. Yeah, I I get more of the latter myself, but yeah, because you run with featherweights. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I really do. I mean, yeah, I I hate the, although I hate the opposite. The the guys like, oh, I don't get scared of anything. Well, you know, it's a movie. It's not real. It's a fake projection on a video. It's a two dimensional projection. So, uh, if you're gonna t- if you're gonna take the ride, then. Take the ride. Yeah, don't don't. You're not winning any tough guy awards by not being scared by yeah, a movie. That, that's that's the guy that goes to a horror movie and it's like he's like, come on, that head wasn't really cut off. Yeah, that blood's not real. You're missing the point. It's an emotional thrill to be scared to really get involved with it. I mean, that's what you want. Yeah, that's the point is to have fun and to be thrilled, to be terrified, to have that chill go up your spine. I mean, that really affects you. So, anyways, so um. That's how to get your fear on. Anyways, if you have any questions, comments, or if, uh, about this, uh, feel free to email us, post on our site, post a comment on the uh, main site or the forums. And uh, when we come back, we'll have a letter with Tom, uh, some anecdotes, shout-outs, and God knows what All else. the rest of the shit you've come to expect from us. Yeah, exactly.
letters from Tom. As of my last letter, I'm beginning to think that my bold-faced admission of lying and cheating may not have been the wisest thing to do. Whenever Ross greets the gaming group now, there's a sequential chorus of, hey, what's up, and, oh look, the one who is forever dead to me. It's a little disheartening to hear the words, the adults are going to game now, so why don't you go out outside and lay down in the street so a truck can make you into abstract art all over Sunshine Street, you miserable fucking liar. I'm beginning to think that Ross is upset with me, so I'll go back to my normal duty and do my part in dispense gaming wisdom with all the subtlety of a chimp-flinging flaming shit. So here we go. A list of things not to do when gaming. First, don't start a game when the environment isn't conducive to gaming. In my other group, we game in an apartment with a big kitchen table that is perfect for gaming. Unfortunately, for the last few months, that table has become a haven for an increasingly towering mound of knickknacks and trash. The owner will not clean it up, nor will he allow anyone to clean it up for him. The table is unusable, so we are forced to game in the living room. The couch seats only three comfortably, and there are no surfaces to roll dice, and the gamer who lives there sits at his computer chair. That means that during the game he is downloading anime or surfing YouTube, looking for anything on the sequel to Transformers. Next, don't plan a serious game if your players are incapable of being serious, even for a moment. I once planned a dark and gritty investigative game, only to have one of my players create a detective that has an obsession with collecting stuffed animals and drank girly drinks. That was all he thought out. It was hard to keep the mood when they were interviewing a rape victim in a bar, and his character was smiling like an idiot while joyfully ordering a Bahama Mama. Lastly, don't run a historical game with someone who fancies themselves a history buff. Nothing upsets gameplay more than trying to get through a scene of negotiating with a medieval lord when one of your players is trying to converse in the style of speech used during that day. It always sounds like a middle school production of Romeo and Juliet, except all the actors have been drinking Budweiser all night. I eventually get frustrated and just have the NPC start talking in a bonics. Nothing confuses a history nut more than having Richard the Lionhearted say he's about to strap on a gat to lay the bitch out flat. Oh, one more thing not to do. Don't admit to cheating in front of the GM. They will remember. Anyways, Tom, just for the record, I'm not angry at you. That uh, it had nothing. The game that he's talking about probably had it, everybody screwed up. Everybody contributed to the bit fucking up at the end. So don't worry about it, Tom. Uh, we won't get into that. And, yeah, well, good. I need you to like me, Ross. <laughs> I need you to like me. Right, right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, anyways, of course, we have the uh, shoutouts. Yes, the, you uh, do. For this obvious October, I have two books. If you want to understand horror, I want to understand how to do a scary game. You should look at some of the masters of horror, not the show, but you know the real masters. Um, Stephen King. Stephen King. Well, H.P. Lovecraft and Stephen King. Well, yeah. Uh, they both wrote excellent books about horror. What is scary? H.P. Uh, Lovecraft wrote a book called Supernatural Horror and Literature. 
You can get it on, you know, Amazon. It's cheap. It's a good read. It's mostly about, you know, 19th century, late 19th century, early 20th century horror. You know, imagine that. Uh, Arthur Mackin and, you know, mm-hmm. Lord Dunsany and blah, 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 blah. Rom but Stoker. yeah, it's it's still relevant. And then, of course, Stephen King wrote a book called Dance Macabre, which is about the same thing. Only he talks about modern horror. And he also there's a whole section on horror versus gore, fear, mm-hmm. terror, you know, the differences between them, suspense, all this stuff. So if you want to get a more analytical breakdown of what is scary, what is horror, those are the books to look to. Right. They're both in paperback. They're both, you know, good buys. So, yeah. Amazon. Go to Amazon. Yeah. Anyways, best prices. So, Tom, what about you? Yeah, I have two. What you got? I have two, but I'm going to mention them together because really they're, I'm shouting, giving a shout out to them because, because of the same reason. Okay. One was something I had caught the end of on the sci-fi channel and bought a copy of, which was In the Mouth of Madness. Yeah. Movie by John Carpenter. Yeah. Which, that's basically his Lovecraft movie. Yeah. And I, I liked, I dig John, John Carpenter's stuff, most of it. I think he did put out a few pieces of crap. Recently. Yeah, but, uh, like, okay, but The Thing, obviously, was, to me, one of the, my favorite movies. It's a masterpiece. Yes. But, uh, and this one, I really, I mean, I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other movies which go along with that are the Feast movies. There's the original, which was part of the uh, Project Greenlight. Right. And then there's the Feast 2, Sloppy Seconds, which I just picked up uh, on Friday. Right. I'm mentioning this because the things they have in common, I showed them to two of my friends, namely Aaron and Two Keelan, of the, yeah. Two of the featherweights. featherweights. And I mentioned it because those two movies, well, not Feast 1, actually, Aaron really enjoyed that because it was just... More horror comedy. Horror, horror comedy. Very, very self-aware, you mm-hmm. know. Anyway. Well, in the beginning of it, they actually stopped, froze the frame, has said, named the character, their occupation, and odds of survival. Right. Yeah, that was cool. But the second one, and In the Mouth of Madness, genuinely freaked them out. And not just, and not, not just a little. Like, they were uncomfortable the rest of the night. It... It was worth it. It was worth the price I paid for shipping and picking them up just to have, just to be able to look at them and see them. Like, dude, they are genuinely frightened right now. I, I in a way, I envy them. I wish horror. I could find horror movies that easily scared me, because it takes a lot to scare. Yeah, I mean, me. and I mean, the feast, feast too is not as good. It's, I mean, they do they. Uh, I mean, like, I mean, one of my favorite scenes is a guy bravely going down to rescue a baby from a car yeah. with the monster closing in. He's running back and. Realize he's not going to make it and just throws the baby to them. <laughs> um, actually, I have one more shout-out now that I think about it. Uh, the uh, video game, video game, uh, Condemned 2, Bloodshot. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've which saw, I've obviously seen, seen Condemned... Well, you've seen Condemned 1. I've seen both. You've seen both? I have seen them both. Okay, where'd you see the other one? I, uh, I, I, I was uh, one, of my, like, one of my other friends, uh, Jake. Yeah. Had, yeah, he was over... Uh, he invited us over to another one of his friends' house who uh, they were playing it. Oh, okay. Yeah, the uh, you know, same character now. He now except he's homeless now. I see. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's basically a hobo murder simulator. You run around in very condemned type buildings and you know abandoned buildings, things like that, and murder lots of crazy people with your fists and clubs and bricks and things like that. And then later in, there's a you gets a little Dragon Ball Z, you know. No, oh, yeah, but. Uh, it's still and it, it's worth the fifteen bucks you can get it. You can you I paid fifteen bucks for it and it was worth fifteen bucks. Yeah. So it looks pretty too on the Xbox. Well, that's good. Yeah, with the HD uh, but, video uh, screen. Yeah, get that. That'd probably freak them out too. Oh god, it would terrify them. 
Although Condemned One, I think, is better because Condemned One has a department store level mm-hmm. with these people dressed up as mannequins uh, that along, alongside real mannequins. So you're walking by, you don't know which mannequins are fake and which ones are just enemies waiting to murder you and are just standing still waiting for you to turn your back to them. And so, of course, you can throw rocks at them, but they'll sneak up on you, and it's just, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I have to say, of the two, Tila is the most afraid. Okay. One time we made her watch the Silent Hill movie. <laughs> and anytime after, if it's a little foggy, we can just play the theme song to Silent Hill 2. And she's like, turn that off. I don't want to hear that now. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Anyways, so, of course, finally, we have some uh, anecdotes. So, Tom? Yeah. Once again, I'm mentioning my other group. On this one, I'm not going to name names, even though I've mentioned some of them before. Yeah. I attempt. I started a new a Star Wars campaign on Friday. Uh, I was basing it in the Knights of the Old Republic, and I wanted it to be kind of it's set during the Jedi Civil War. So there's a lot of you know shifting loyalties, people that were their friends just a few months ago, or now on the other side trying to kill them. Kind of the mood I was setting is like they're you know they were all playing Jedi, and they were you know I want to play them as you know, you're just now graduating into a galaxy that most of your, the Jedi are dead, Sith are everywhere, and you know it's it's you know well a little a little a little less a little less light than they would have proved, but they went with it, well except for one of them. He like he created a Jedi Twi'lek that wanted to go around in a fishnet tank top. <laughs> okay. Was go bu- on. was bubbly and giggly all okay. the time. And clingy to those to his I mean so clingy to his friends that he never wanted to leave their side and loved to braid people's hair. Still sounds like a better character than Jar Jar Binks. Yeah, uh, we're not going there, Ross. <laughs> but and and to top to top all of this off the visual aid he downloaded a picture for his character comes from a fan a fan comic of Star Wars that's all of, that's a gay erotic web comic wow of Star Wars wow and um when i'm really when i'm faced with that it's really hard to keep things serious yeah no joke so uh why didn't you just ban his character idea because the next one he make would be the same thing oh really i just i honestly don't think he's capable of playing a just straight serious character, right? I just don't think he can do it, hmm. and I'm sure we could, you know, teach him how to do it as all we want. We could train him to our heart's content. At the end, he he just I just don't think he wants to. Right, kind of like how you are with you know big lizardy monsters. Well, just monsters. I love playing monsters. Right. So give it. It's not just, it's not just lizardy monsters. I played every kind, and I love them. <laughs> I love playing them. Okay. But I can vary up their personality somewhat. Okay. You know, come on. But if given a choice between a normal person and a monster, you would always choose a monster. If it was a choice. Yeah. But if I was also told, I, I, you, need to, you need to play a person now, I'm like, okay, I can play a person. Okay. Fair enough. Okay, I guess so. But it, I think it was that final, here's, like, here's the visual aid. Like, it's from, it's from a, a gay erotic uh, co- Star Wars webcomic. Wow. I didn't even bother to ask him which one. Yeah, that, you don't really need to know that. Yeah. Too much no. information. And the thing he put the most thought into was his morning grooming ha- rituals. Wow. Rather than his background and... Did you kill his character? Please say you killed his character. Well, the intro, the intro session really didn't get into enough danger to kill them. You should, like, uh, give him dark side points for being so self-centered. 
I thought about that. <laughs> really? Th- th- then he'd just play a Sith who was the same way. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. All right. So instead of instead of a Jedi that's... You know, that's actually kind of ties into the whole horror thing. Yeah. It's just he's running a horror game for you, in a sense. <laughs> he's trying to terrify you in his own weird And he's way. not doing terrifying, but he is making me uncomfortable. There you go. So, And Aaron... Okay, Aaron's one of the other players. Yeah. He actually, to his credit, was doing a fine job in the game. Yeah. Playing a Jedi, doing it seriously. Well, he but, likes the good guys. He would play a Jedi fine, I would imagine. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I wish I could record a game where I actually forced him to play some kind of villainous character because it's just funny seeing yeah. him try to do it. <laughs> he can't. He just can't. Okay. All right, fair enough. So, uh,. I guess that's it. So we will uh, come back in a couple weeks with some more horror stuff. Uh, let us know if you need any helps running your own horror game. We'll be here. So, but, uh, uh, what, what could be more horrific than gay Jedi Twi'lek? I can't imagine, Tom. It, the gay the, Jar Jar Binks. The cosmic horror of Cthulhu and Yogg Sothoth and Azazoth would just has, go ew. Yeah, it has nothing on that. So, yeah. uh, anyways, it's been Ross Payton here with Tom Church. Yes. Thank you for finally mentioning my name. Yes, uh, and get your fear on. This has been episode 22. Here's some more creepy-ass number stations.
Three, 